Welcome to Serious Faith, a podcast exploring the gospel story by story to discover the way of Jesus. Welcome back to another week, Serious Faith, working through the book of Hebrews. Uh, we are beginning into chapter 3 of Hebrews, so uh, if you need a minute to to go back and catch up, you can certainly do that. Uh, to be fair, you'll need more than a minute. It, it, it'll be a little bit of listening. Uh, but Hebrews chapter 3, we're verses 1 through 6, continuing on this trend of Jesus as greater. Remember, that's kind of the, the theme of this book. Jesus is better, he's greater, and uh, that's not going to end anytime soon. So uh, we're in chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Here's what it says. Therefore, brothers and sisters who are partners in the heavenly calling, think about Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Jesus was faithful to the one who appointed him, just like Moses was faithful in God's house. But he deserves greater glory than Moses in the same way that the builder of the house deserves more honor than the house itself. Every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant in order to affirm the things that would be spoken later. But Jesus was faithful over God's house as a son. We are his house, but if if we hold on to the confidence and the pride that our hope gives us. Whew. All right. So, if you remember last week, because we start this uh, section with a therefore, and which means you got to look at last week's. All right. Now, to be fair, we've started with a therefore numerous times in these in these verses. Uh, but he says, therefore, because of this stuff. And remember what he said last week. He said that uh, that Jesus is this great high priest. Um, in fact, he's the merciful and faithful. He's the best high priest uh, because he's able to help those who are tempted because he's experienced it, right? Because of this, therefore, he says, therefore, those of you who are partners in the heavenly calling, uh, think about Jesus. He says, because of this, because he is the best high priest, because he's been there, because he's done that, Consider Jesus, think about him, uh, the apostle and high priest of our confession, right? So he's built this case in the first two chapters of how great Jesus is and how much better he is than everything else, than everyone else. He's built this case and he says, because of that, you should think about him. Because this Jesus, he says, was faithful to the one who appointed him, just like Moses was faithful in God's house. Now, this is a important thing to remember uh, that you may not pick up from the text. Moses, for especially for a Jewish backgrounded person, uh, and if if and we can assume pretty safely this book, it's called Hebrews, right? So it's written to the Hebrews, it's written to the Jewish people. Uh, Moses was very revered. Uh, Moses was like idolized, uh, and maybe that's too strong of a word. Uh, but that's the word that comes to mind. And maybe maybe he wasn't actually literally idolized, but uh, that's that's the level of veneration that people would have for Moses. And so when he compares Jesus to Moses, he's making a big, big assumption here, a big jump. He says, Jesus was faithful just like Moses was faithful. So that's high praise, right? Jesus was faithful just like Moses, just like the guy that we revere and and the guy that is insanely respected in our group, Jesus was faithful just like him. And now that's that's great. We're like, okay, cool. He's a super faithful. That's awesome. But then he goes on 
and he builds. Because remember, the theme of this book is Jesus is better. And essentially here, he's going with the Jesus is better than Moses. Because he says, but he deserves greater glory than Moses. Oh, <laughs> he's going to be stepping on some toes here. Stepping on some toes, right? Think about the person that you idolize the most in your life. And again, I get that idolize an idol has kind of a negative connotation, but just think about it for a moment, right? The person that you look up to in faith, in life, that you're like, this person has it figured out, right? Think about that person and then multiply it and you get how revered Moses was. And he says, look, Moses was great, but Jesus is even better. Jesus is better than Moses. And he goes on, he explains it. He doesn't just leave it there, just make a claim. He says, in the same way that the builder of the house deserves more honor than the house itself. In other words, he goes, Jesus is better because, like, most sure, Moses was great, right? He says every house is built by somebody, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful in God's house as a servant, but Jesus, he was faithful as a son, right? So there's two, two things I need to break down here for you. The first is that uh, this idea of who created the house, right? Because in this analogy, you kind of get the impression when it starts that Moses is the house. That even his servant, right, Jesus built everything. So whatever Moses built, technically Jesus built it. Because Jesus built Moses. And he, and he was the one who empowered Moses. He was the one whose spirit led Moses and, and made all these things happen. These amazing plagues and miracles and leading people into freedom. It was all, it was all Jesus, he says. He says, who's better, the house or the guy who built the house? <laughs> and he says, God built everything. So that's the first analogy, right? So he's like, Jesus is better because he, he was one of the ones who supplied this, right? So that's that one. Then he goes on and he says, Moses was faithful as a servant, but Jesus was faithful as a son, right? You see the bill here? He says, Jesus was just a servant in the household of God. Or Moses. Moses, sorry. Moses was just a servant in the household of God. Just another guy. Another serving. But he says, Jesus is the son in that house. He's the son. So he's got to be better. right? He's more important in the house. Because the son of the house has definitely got to be more important. He's definitely got to be more important than the servant. He's going to hold more sway. He's going to hold more power. But then he says this really interesting thing. And this, this is what I think is the most interesting part of this whole thing. It's a cool argument. I like his argument here that Jesus is better than Moses. But this last sentence really gets me. It got me thinking today. He talks about the house. And he says, we are his house. We are his house. So now I think back to this analogy, right? Moses was a servant of the house. Jesus is a son in the house. right? What do you do in a house? You live in it. You live in it. So he says, Moses Moses served the house. He helped, right? What do servants do? They help. They help make keep things on track. They help make sure things are clean and orderly and done correctly and, and done well, right? But he says, Jesus is a son of the house. The son lives in the house. He plays in the house. A son eats in the house. He he does his life. He calls it home, right? He, he lives there. And he says, we are his house, right? In other words, the son lives in us. The son wants to make his home in us. He wants to, he wants to live there. 
if. And this is the word, this is the word that gets you. Because this is not just a general, like everybody's God's house. He says, we are his house if, and here's how he words it, if we hold on to the confidence and the pride that our hope gives us. What does that even mean? What does that mean, right? I I honestly think I I think uh, Wesley Wesley makes a note about this. He says, seeing that he is faithful, meaning Jesus, right? Seeing that he is faithful as the Son, he's faithful. He's done these amazing things in us. Seeing that he is faithful, be not ye unfaithful. And that's from Wesley's notes. In other words, if Jesus is going to be faithful as the Son to do these amazing things, to be this better high priest, to be this better prophet, to be a better servant even than Moses, as the Son, seeing how faithful he is, we cannot then be unfaithful. We have to hold on. We have to hold on, he says, to the confidence and the pride that our hope gives us. In fact, I would even maybe go as far as not just to hold on to the confidence, but hold on with confidence. To hold on knowing, knowing that we know that we know what Jesus has done and what he's going to do, what's next. Right? In other words, we should, we should act in a way, well, the note here in my Bible words it really well. It says, Act to maintain the advantage through loyal and consistent discipleship. Our confidence and our pride in the hope that he's given us. That hope is in our discipleship. Our constant growth with him, right? Consider it this way. Like with this house analogy he's been using, right? We are his house. Think about it this way. We want Jesus not just, uh, not just to move in. Right? If we want to be his house, we don't want him to just move in. Because consider when you first move into a place, you're not really settled. Right? Like when you first move into a new house, and maybe for some of you it's been a while, uh, but when you first move into a new house, it takes forever to get settled. Forever. Right? You don't you don't move all your stuff in on Monday, and then on Tuesday everything's unpacked and put in its place and it feels like home. It takes time. But it also takes intentionality because if you just move all your stuff in and you leave it in the boxes and you don't work towards settling in, it never feels like home. And this, to me, is a great analogy for what discipleship is. Discipleship is us letting Jesus move in. Not just giving him a cot in the corner to sleep on, but to truly let him move in. To let him settle. To let him feel at home. To let him take over a little bit, right? Because when you get a roommate or when you move into a new place, especially when I'm thinking along the lines of a roommate, you get a roommate, they move in, and you figure out, well, you know, their pants have to go in the kitchen too. Or, or you know, if you, especially if you're getting married and you've already lived an adult life, you have this awkward thing where you figure out, like, so whose pan sets are we keeping? Whose towels do we need to keep? How many do we need to keep? You have those kinds of conversations. These are the conversations that discipleship has with Jesus. It's what parts of who I am and who I was can stay and was good, and what parts need to be, do we need to let go so that Jesus can move in? 
And the fun part about this, Jesus being the son of the house, if you consider Jesus being the son of your house, I have four children. Now, I don't have a son. I have four daughters. But I can tell you this. Children take over a house. It's not just their room or two rooms. There are toys and things everywhere. I got girls, so it's pink and Barbies in every room of my house. Every single room. And now there are days that drives me nuts, right? However, I wouldn't trade it because they're my kids. I love them. I love that there's this stuff going on. And you, know, and you hear from people all the time but that they miss that phase when there's when their kids' stuff was there. And, and I get it, you know. I get it as much as I get on to my kids about keeping things clean. But they just, they take over. And so if you're going to consider Jesus as the son, we have to consider what it looks like to let him take over. If we're really going to say our hope is in him, our confidence, our pride is in him, then we have to let him take over. It's not just one room, one bedroom upstairs or in the basement. We've got to let Jesus truly move in if we're going to let him live with us. So, of course, I'm sure you see where this question is leading. Is that what you've done? Have you really let Jesus make a home within you? Or is he just getting the, the spare bedroom under the stairs, Harry Potter style? Like, how much space are we giving Jesus? I think if we're being honest, uh, for a lot of us, Jesus maybe gets just the, the uh, cupboard under the stairs like Harry does. I think for the vast majority of Christians, it's not necessarily that he gets the under-the-stairs cabinet. It's that he gets the bedroom upstairs. And you'll have to excuse me here if you're not a Harry Potter fan. I'm, I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. Um, when they move Harry upstairs to the after the first book, they move him upstairs to their spare bedroom. Um, which it sounds great, right? Because they're like, okay, finally, they're going to they're gonna love on him. No. Uh, he has to be quiet. He has to be orderly. He's only allowed out at certain times, right? He gets the bedroom technically, but he doesn't really get the freedom of being there. He's not a son of the house. This is what most of us do with Jesus. We give him the bedroom, but then we need him to be quiet when we have guests over. We need him to stick to his own space and and pretend he doesn't exist. <laughs> and that's just not how it works. It's not how being a Christian works. It's not how following Jesus works. It's supposed to take over everything. It's supposed to be like, here's my house. Move on in. Take up all the space you want. <laughs> I'll move things. I'll sell things if I have to. Take over. But is that really how we've been treating Jesus? Is that really the, the way that, that we've done it? I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> so that's a tough question I want you to think about. How much space, if, you, if, you, if your life is the house, how much of it have you given to Jesus? Is he the... Is he the, the Harry Potter under the cabinet, or or is he taken over? Is he a true roommate, a partner? Think on it. We'll be back next week.